0: Well, it's preaching time. Appreciate the good singing this morning. Teach your Bibles. If you would, turn with me over to the book of Philippians. Philippians chapter number three. Philippians chapter number three. Again, I want to encourage you to be back this evening. Uh, One of my burdens as a pastor, one of the reasons why we have Vision Sunday is for me to be able to articulate and communicate to the church uh, the direction and the things that I feel like God has laid upon our hearts to pursue and to pray about and to strive together toward in 2024. And if you're not here, you're going to miss it. Amen. If we're all going to be rolling in the same direction, it makes sense that we establish what direction we're rolling in. Amen. Our theme this year is forward. And we're going to be looking at that uh, over the next few weeks. This morning, kind of kicking it off with the message out of Philippians 3. But tonight, we'll be very specific in the things that we are praying about and going towards. Some things we'll be uh, bringing out that we're going to do immediately. Some things we'll be praying about and seeking leadership and direction from the Lord for throughout the year. And I just want everybody to be on the same page. And again, I'm not 100% sure I'm going to live stream that portion of the service. And so if you want to get in on it, you need to be here. And so if you found your place in Philippians chapter 3, stand with me, please. We will begin reading in verse... Number 11, the Bible says that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death, if by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after that I may apprehend that for which also I'm apprehended of Christ Jesus. Brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended, but this one thing I do Forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. We're going to stop right there. Focus on a phrase found in verse number 13. To preach a little bit this morning on that thought, reaching forth. Reaching forth. Father, we ask you now that you would help us. As we turn our hearts and our minds to the scripture, the word of God, may it come alive. May you allow us to be able to glean truth from these verses that would help us today. Give us liberty to preach, power to preach. May God's people be attentive. I pray there would be very little distractions, Lord, people getting up, moving around. May we be able to focus a little bit on the message that you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for standing. You can be seated. As I said, today is Vision Sunday. We do this every year. Try to do it around the first Sunday of the year for the simple purpose of getting everybody together on the same page. Appreciate the Sunday School lesson in the sanctuary this morning. Brother Bernard did a fine job out of Colossians, talking about the importance of unity, God's people, all of them being of one mind, one accord. It's important for a church to be unified. And in order for that to happen, there has to be some sort of a vision, some sort of a direction it doesn't have to be a Vision Sunday. It could be done a variety of ways, but the churches needs to be on the same page. But tonight we're going to really deal with our church and going forward as a church. But this morning I want to focus on taking a close look on maybe our vision for ourselves as individuals. And We're going to, we're going to look at these verses this morning. And though the word forward is not in these verses, it's very clear that the idea of going forward is very clear in these verses and Paul was concerned about this and he he's expounding on some things and I have preached these verses I don't know how many times down through the years I've read them many many times and yet as I was reading and studying these verses again this past week I saw some things I really had not seen before I love it that about the Bible that when you read it it's fresh and when you read it, God allows you to see new things and bring things out. And we wanna to try to share with you this morning some things that God showed me about reaching forth, this whole idea of going forward, reaching forth in our own personal, individual walk with God. Three things we wanna look at, simple outline this morning. Number one, we're gonna notice the position that could be improved. The position that could be improved. And we find that in verse number 13 where the apostle Paul said, brethren, I count not myself to have apprehended. I count not myself to have apprehended. One of the biggest obstacles to moving forward in your own personal walk with God is an unbiblical contentment with where you are presently. Amen. I mean, before you put your vehicle in drive, you got to get tired of it sitting in park. As long as you're content with it in park, you're not gonna put it in drive. But at some point, there's gotta be a a, a desire uh, to go somewhere where you are not currently at. And I believe that when Paul says, I count not myself to have apprehended, what he's saying is the position that I'm in right now could be better than it is right now. It could be improved upon. And before a person, before a church, Before a congregation will be stirred to go forward, they must first become discontent with their current state. Paul said it clearly, I count not myself to have apprehended. He used a word, a math word, a math phrase. I count myself. That word count means to calculate, to weigh out to reckon or to compute. This was before computers. You still had to use your fingers and toes. But this is a math word. And here's what Paul said. Paul says, I've done the math and I don't like what it's added up to. And let's just hang out here for just a second. Now, some of you are new converts. Some of you just got saved in the last few weeks Last couple of months, you're growing like a weed, and we're absolutely thrilled to sit back and watch it. It's awesome. But some of us in here have been saved a while. Some of us in here have been saved a long time. I got saved in 1976. And I'm trying to, I'm trying to do the math. And that's 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 a long time. And here's what Paul said. I've done the math. I'm counting. Where I am and where I should be, and I'm a little bit short, I count not myself to have apprehended. Is anybody still with me? Yes, I'm, I'm asking you this morning to take just a quick, do a quick math quiz. Look at how long you've been saved. Look at how many messages you've heard. Look at how many Bible lessons and Bible messages you've heard and set under. Look at how many people God has put in your life to sow truth and to sow light into your life. Just take a few minutes, do a math quiz, and tell me whether or not you feel like you are spiritually where you ought to be after all those years and all those messages and all those lessons. Or can, you, can we say this morning that our position could be improved upon? Paul was not happy with where he was spiritually. And I'm gonna be honest with you. I would be happy in my life if I was where Paul was in these verses. (laughs) I'd say, hey, doing pretty good. Paul was probably one of the best Christians that we'll ever know about. And it's amazing to me that Paul said, I count not myself. I'm I'm doing an inventory. I'm looking at the years I've been saved, the years I've been studying the Bible, the years that I've been praying, the years that I've been exposed to the truth, and I'm not where I could be. Can we agree that's a good place to start? If we're going to go forward, we've all got to agree that the position that we're currently in could be improved upon. He wasn't happy with the sum of his life. He was not content with what he had accomplished. And again, if any of us in here could accomplish half of what the apostle Paul did in his life, I think we would say that was a life well well lived. The accomplishments, the places he went I mean, the, the shoes he had to have worn out, the sandals he had to have worn out, traveling all over Asia Minor, three different missionary journeys, and the nations and the cities that he preached in, and the synagogues that he preached in, and the people that he led to Christ, and the preachers that he, that he mentored, and the books that he wrote, and the letters that he wrote. Paul accomplished a lot in his life, and yet he said, I've done the math. I've not apprehended I'm not there. I haven't arrived. That's what the word apprehended means. I haven't achieved the ultimate goal. I have not, I have not reached that pinnacle level of a Christian He wasn't satisfied with the man that he had become. You can know, go to the bookstore today and there's a whole section in there on, on, on self-improvement. Written by people that's more messed up than we are. Can I get an amen on that? Woo, you read that and you go, man, if I do this stuff, I'm going backwards, amen, I'm not going forward. Self-improvement. We're not talking about self-improvement from man's perspective, we're talking about allowing God to knock more of the rough edges off of us. Huh? We're talking about letting God shape and mold us into the image of Jesus Christ. He said it in one place, Ephesians 2. I think it's about verse number 10. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus unto good works. Which God hath before ordained that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. Let me ask you a question. How close are you to looking like Jesus? Because that's the ultimate goal. Amen. Amen. That's what Romans chapter 8 says that we've been predestinated to be conformed to the image of his son. And so if that's our goal, if that's, the, if that's what apprehending looks like, stay with me, if that's what apprehending looks like, let me ask you a question. How are you doing on your math quiz this morning? I count not myself to have apprehended. The apostle Paul hadn't apprehended and this is near the end of his ministry. This is, I mean, he's been preaching 30 years. Huh? Is still with me? Happy New Year. I love you. Paul was clear that he had not arrived. Look at what he says in verse number 12. Not as though I had already attained. Either were already perfect. I look at some Christians and they act like they're perfect. Because they're not They're not changing. They're not improving. They're not getting a better. They're not having a better, becoming a better witness, a better testimony, a better prayer warrior, a better soul winner, a better parent, a better spouse, a better church member. So they must in their mind feel like they're there. Paul says, I'm not perfect. Are you perfect? Some of you spouses are answering for your other spouse. I'm talking about you. All was clear. He did the math. And he says, I'm not there yet. So that's a good place to start, the position that could be improved. But then secondly, before I get to the second, let's go back and talk about this some more. I'm looking out over this church and you know what I see? I see people that have grown in the Lord. And I love it. It is such a blessing to me. How many of you, when you were kids, you had a little wall somewhere where you would back up to it and mark your height? How many of y'all had that? Raise your hand. I had one. I stopped in about fourth grade, I think. I read Matthew where it says, you cannot add one cubit to your stature. I didn't want a cubit. I just wanted a couple of inches, amen. I was the shortest guy on the basketball team. Just, amen. It's hard to to shoot a jump shot and they're packing you. Just packing you. But we would back up to the wall and we would measure our height. And then we'd turn around and see how much we have grown since the last time we marked it. Some of you are growing in the Lord. And it is a blessing. You might not see it, but I do. You know how it is when your kids are walking around and their pants are up to here because they've outgrown their pants? Yeah. We call them high water britches, all right? Zane had a growth spurt. I mean, just I mean, he just went to shoot straight up. Man. And we can see it many times in the church. We see new converts and they're just eating. They're just eating, eating the word, and they're drinking that milk of that, that sincere milk of the word, and they're growing many of you are growing many of you have grown I'm looking at some of you that were here two, three, four, five years ago and you don't, you're, you're not the same person now listen to me if you're not careful you'll say that's good enough that's far enough You'll start to look around and you'll start to look at everybody else and you'll just say, I think I'm just going to kind of assimilate in here with everybody and I'm just going to kind of, just kind of, you know, blend in with everybody and you'll not realize that God has so much more for those that want it. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness for they shall be filled. Many of you have grown so much, you've learned so much. When you first started coming here, you didn't know anything. We've had people come here and we're taking them in through the the principles of growth, discipleship, and they didn't even know what Christmas was for. I'm talking about adults from Baltimore. They did not know that Christmas was about Jesus being born and laid in a manger. It was all brand new. They didn't know Genesis one. They didn't know how we got here. They were taught in the Baltimore school system that we all evolved from a monkey and that the monkey that we evolved from came from a big bang. Just saying that sounds, I felt my IQ drop about 10 points right there. Just saying that. And they come in here and they don't know anything about the Bible. They don't know anything at all about God and they begin to grow and they begin to learn. But can I tell you something? I've been reading this Bible right here for 50 years close to it and I still see something new every time I study it. I learn something new every time I pick it up. And there's so much more in there that I don't know than what little bit that I do know. When I was a young preacher, I probably wouldn't have been confident enough to say that. I wouldn't have been been secure enough to admit that. We got men in here that's been preaching 40 years and they'll tell you there's more in there that they don't know than they do know. Amen, the treasures, the bottomless treasures of the Word of God. So I don't care if you've been saved two years, three years, five years, 10 years, or you've been saved 50 years, a good place to start if you want to go forward is to come to the same conclusion the Apostle Paul did that your position could be improved. Then secondly, we see the prize that should be inspiring. Look at what he says. Look at what he says. He says, um. I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God. Let me ask you a question: What motivates you this morning? What gets you going? What gets you stirred up? It's amazing to me what gets certain people going. Turn the fans on for me, guys, if you will. Let's get a bit of air circulating in here. What would what would it take to get you? What would it take to get you stirred? I mean, yesterday down at at the at the stadium, the Raven Stadium. There were people sitting out in that cold, freezing rain watching football. And I'm gonna tell you something. I enjoy a football game as much as anybody. There ain't no way in the world. There's no way in the world I'm sitting in that and watching football. There ain't no way. And you won't know what's pitiful? And some of those people woke up this morning and they said, I can't go to church. It's too cold outside. I can't go to church. It might be too cold inside the church. Sitting in freezing rain for three hours. That's, un- that's unbelievable to me. I'm-, I'm using that word again. It's, un- it's incomprehensible. I cannot imagine. I wouldn't sit in freezing cold rain to watch Moses part the Red Sea. I'd say, video it, text it to me. I'm staying at the house. There ain't no way. Can we agree those people get motivated, stirred, and then turn right around and they lost to the Steelers. Ouch. Go home freezing cold, wet, sick, and heartbroken. What motivates you? What, what challenges you? What stirs you? Paul said, I press toward the prize. The prize. The, the, it wasn't the preacher that motivated him. Come on, y'all. It wasn't the people around him that stirred and motivated him. It wasn't the position that he held as an apostle or a preacher that motivated him. It was the prize in front of him that motivated and stirred him. Paul often referred the prize talked about it a lot thought about it a lot I think about it a lot I'm going to tell you something It'd do you will to think about it more how I many of you want to go work all next week if you knew you weren't going to get paid come Friday how I many of you be excited about getting up and fighting traffic and going out and working all week if the boss called you this evening and said we're running a little short on money I need you to come in and work next week but you won't be getting paid I know what you'd say. You'd say what I'd say. Call me when you get money. Right. Yeah. Call me when, you have a, when you've got cash. Your cash flow's not my problem. That's what I would say. You know, if I'm going to do volunteer work, I'm not doing it for a businessman. I'm going to do it for somebody who ain't got nothing. That's what we would say. But I can tell you why a lot of people are not motivated and stirred to go forward in their walk with God. is because they don't think enough about the prize that's waiting for them on the other side. Apostle Paul referred to crowns. He talked about the crowns. Often in 2 Timothy 4, 8, henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. I fought a good fight. I finished my course. I kept the faith. Henceforth, there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love is appearing. He said, I fought and I was, I was faithful and I finished my course because I was won that prize at the end of this race. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 25, he says, every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now, they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we, we do it to obtain an incorruptible crown. You know, I was, I was at the awards place, trophy place last week, picking up, our church gave Brother Bittner and his wife a little plaque yesterday. Just a little memento, show our appreciation. I was standing there looking at all these awards and trophies. All these, all these trophies that they give to people that win these athletic events. And I'm talking about these big old things. They're just tall. and Boy, they look so awesome. I don't know if you've ever taken one of them apart and see how they're made. They're made out of plastic tubes and some screws. If you were to take that, that trophy apart and lay it on the counter, it looked like Tinker Toys. it looked like something the kids play with. And that is what people strive for. Yeah. <laughs> That's what people get up and work out for and they train for and they compete for so they can stand in the winner's circle and get this little plastic piece of junk right. that if you melted it down, it'd be worth about two cents. Maybe. Paul said, that's not what we're going for. We're not going for the corruptible. We're going for the incorruptible. In other words, he says, I'm motivated by something on the other side that you can't see with your eyes, but we know it's there because the Bible tells us it's there. And that prize that you and I know is there should inspire us and motivate us to reach forward. Imagine if we worked as hard, strived as hard for those unseen incorruptible prizes and crowns as we do down here for the corruptible. In 1 Corinthians chapter number 3, verse number 14, Paul said, if any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. I like rewards, don't you? Some of y'all acting all modest, like, well, I don't care if I get rewarded or not. But you just told me you wouldn't go to work if you were not getting paid. 1 Corinthians chapter, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse number 10, he says, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body. According to that he hath done, whether it be good or bad. By the way, the judgment seat of Christ is gonna be a very serious event. (laughs) Serious. Because Paul said in the next verse in verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of, of the Lord, we persuade men. Paul said, The thought of the judgment seat of Christ brings fear, a reverential fear, into my heart and stirs and inspires and motivates me to do something for God. Can I remind some of you of something? I really feel specifically to say this. Holy Spirit of God brought this to my attention this morning after I had even printed out my notes. I had to go back and add it in the judgment seat of Christ is not going to be you standing before God with your church family right. some of you that like to blend in you want to assimilate in your growth you didn't want to outgrow you didn't want to surpass you didn't want to stand out you didn't want to bring attention to yourself guess what at the judgment seat of Christ it's just going to be you and Jesus It's just going to be you and him. There's not going to be, can I say it? There's not going to be a support group standing around you to help you handle it and help you deal with it and help you go through it. If you're a snowflake and you are easily triggered, you will really, really be terrified to think about the judgment seat of Christ. Can I prove it to you from the Bible? He said it right here. He said it right here. Here's what he said. He said, We must all, we must all, I'm in 2 Corinthians 5 10, we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, that every one. That's 2 Corinthians 5 10. That every one may receive the things done in his body according to that he hath done. It's not, it's not, a, collect, it's, it's not a collective thing. Calvary Baptist Church and the whole congregation is not going to be standing before God and being judged for how the church believed and how the church lived and how the church stood and the testimony and reputation of the church as a whole. No, it's as individual. In other words, if you're not careful, the very people around you that you allow to keep you from doing something for God when you get before the judgment seat, they're not going to be there for you to blame. Right. I know people, I personally know people that blame their carnality on me because I'm their pastor. Oh, I, I said something they didn't like or I made a decision they didn't agree with. And so that's the excuse that they use for why they don't go forward. God, pastor, shift, did this, pastor, did that. And they may be true. They may be right. I mean, I'm, I'm the best of men or men at best. But here's the bad news. I'm not going to be standing beside them at the judgment seat for them to blame. Well, I preach. There's, a preacher, there's people in my church, Lord, that were hypocrites. Mm-hmm. Human beings have a tendency to be hypocritical, huh? <laughs> Don't look at me like that. I'm talking to you. <laughs> standing before God at the judgment seat, you can't blame the hypocrites. You can't blame the phonies. You can't blame the people that hurt you or the people that said one thing and did another. It's not going to be about them. It's going to be about you. And the apostle Paul, if we can say it, if he had looked around at the average church, he was probably more spiritual than most of them. Can we say that? Can we agree that he was probably, I'm giving myself some wiggle room here because I didn't know him personally. I'm just reading about him in the Bible. But can we agree that the Apostle Paul was probably more spiritual than the average church member that he was writing to in the book? In, in sure he was. So much so that the Holy Spirit of God let him say, follow me as I follow Christ. That's pretty strong. I mean, you've got to be somewhat spiritual to be able to be lit by the Holy Spirit of God to be able to say, follow me as I follow Christ. And yet the apostle Paul said, this is not a competition between me and everybody else to see who's more spiritual or who goes further or who does more. This is about me and God and I have done the math and I know that I have not apprehended. Therefore, I'm going to let that prize that is waiting on the other side inspire me to do more and go further in my walk with God than ever before. Thirdly, we see the pressing that must be intentional. This is really where I wanted to focus. He says in verse 13, brethren, I count not myself to have it. Reaching forth, he says in verse 13. But then you get to verse 14, and he, he, he doubles down on this. He says, I press toward the mark for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. I press. Paul didn't wait for somebody else around him to press him. Paul didn't ask people around him to press him. He didn't have a pastor or a preacher or a youth pastor or a Sunday school teacher or a junior church worker to every single week press him. Paul said, I press. In other words, there is something that was going on inside of Paul that stirred and inspired and motivated him to go further and go forward. He said, I press. And then he said something in verse number 13 that just really, if you look at it, (laughs) so strange to me. This one thing I do, he says. This one thing I do. And then he gives you a list of things. Huh? You see that? This one thing I do. Verse number 13. I count not myself to have apprehended. I've done the math. And I don't like where I am. I'm not satisfied and content with what I've accomplished and where I am and what I'm doing and I've I've, I've done the math. And so this one thing I do, and then he gives you a list of three things. (laughs) Let's look at it. He says, first of all, I must forget some things. This one thing I do, I gotta forget some things. Forgetting those things which are behind. If you're not careful, you'll spend all of 2024 rolling around in self-pity over all the things you didn't do for God in 2023. Amen. You will let your past failures and your past mistakes limit you and hinder you. You know what Jesus said in Luke 9:62, no man having put in his hand to the plow looking back is fit the kingdom of God. You see, I, I, didn't, I didn't get it all together last year as a parent, I dropped the ball. I let my spouse down. I let my kids down. I let the Lord down. Okay, get on your knees, ask God to forgive you and then forget about it. Forget about it. Forgetting those things. I must forget some things. Secondly, he said, I must focus on some things. This one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forth unto those things which are before. I got to forget some things. I need to focus on some things. I need to forget some things and focus on some different things. That's, I mean, this is, so, this is so simple, but it is so profound. And I don't think we have to guess at what some things that he's talking about. I think he kind of give us a few of them in verse number 10, that I may know him. And I know no, I brought this out several months ago when the Lord showed it to me and I saw it, like I, like I saw it, I thought, well, he didn't say. Paul, who's nearing the end of his ministry that's wrote half the New Testament, that's seen the third heaven. He's seen the third heaven and can't even talk about it. Right. Right. Who, who, His salvation experience, unlike ours, was an audible conversation with Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. Yes. He didn't say that I may know him better. He didn't say that I may know more about him. He said that I may know him. The Apostle Paul says, I've done the math, and in my estimation, I haven't even begun to know him in the way that he can be known. And I want to know him. I want to know him. That I may know him, he says, and the power of his resurrection. The Apostle Paul is asking God for power. We're talking about a man that performed miracles. Huh? We're talking about a man, and Brother, and Brother Berner mentioned in Sunday school this morning in Acts 28 where he's picking up firewood and a viper jumps out of the fire and lashes onto to his hand and everybody thought, well, he's going to die. And they stood around and watched him and he didn't die. And then they thought he was a god. Miracles. I mean, we can just name them. Miracles. The one that said, God put a thorn in my flesh so that I wouldn't be lifted up in pride. And I wouldn't think more highly of myself than I ought to think. And he said, I'm okay with that. I'm perfectly content with that. I am am fine with that thorn if it will help the power of God to rest upon me. In 1 Corinthians 2, he says, I came not with excellency of speech and of wisdom, but I came in demonstration of the power. This is the one that says, I want to know him and I want to know more about his power. So let me ask you a question. Are you satisfied with the power you've got? The power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. And you could take the sufferings of everybody in this room and put them together and it won't come close to the sufferings of the apostle Paul. Can we agree on that? Well, it's been a hard road, preacher. I really had to make some tough decisions. I've had a few family members cuss me out. Oh, cry me a bucket of tears. Apostle Paul says, I've been stoned, I've been shipwrecked, I've been beat with rods. Name it. And you know what he says? That I may know him. And that I may know the fellowship of his sufferings. I want to know what it's like. Pay attention. I want to know what it's like to be able to relate to Jesus Christ in his sufferings. Paul, are you sure that's what you want? Are you sure that's what you want? So we see, I must forget some things. I must focus on some things. And thirdly, I must fight for some things. Yeah. Right. That word press, boy, I really drilled down on that word press. You could preach a series on that word press. Words matter. And I love studying the word and the words of God. Paul said, I press. Toward the mark. Stay with me now. This is not going to be a walk in the park. <laughs> you cannot achieve a closer walk with God without being willing to put forth some effort. Come on, y'all. In other words, pressing, pressing is not just thinking about it. Stay with me, y'all. No, you're not going to grub hub this in, you're not going to order this on Amazon and have it dropped off on your front porch. You got to go get it. I press that word. You're not going to get it just thinking about it. You don't press. Press is not just leaning toward it and being inclined, being somewhat. Yeah, that's, yeah, I'm in and leaning toward it. Nodding your head when somebody else is talking about it. It's not reading about it, and you can't just know about it. You literally, you literally have to want it and and put forth the effort. In order to have what Paul's talking about, I press. This is not not mental gymnastics. It's a literal pressing. I'm giving y'all time to catch up because I've been thinking about this for about four days. Watch this. The definition of the word press, 1828 Webster's Dictionary, to urge with force or weight the application of power, physical and moral to something that is to be moved or affected. And then there's the word press, which is another definition means to squeeze or to crush, like a wine press, olive press. Put the olives and they press it and they get the olive oil out. They put the grapes in and they press it and they get the grape juice out. That's the word he's using. It literally means to hurry. We say, I'm pressed for time. What am I saying? And there's a whole list of dishes. I didn't even give them all. There's an urgency and there is a weight and there is a pushing and a pressing that is associated with what we're preaching about this morning. Paul said, listen, he's not pressing for his salvation. That's done. That's taken care of. He got saved on the road to Damascus. If on the way to Damascus, he had fell off his horse and broke his neck, he'd have went to heaven. He's not pressing to be saved. Can we agree on that? It's bought and paid for. It's not of ourselves. It's a gift of God. He's talking about that I may know him, that I might have more fellowship, more power, more crowns, more rewards, more prizes. That's what he's talking about. That's the context of what he's talking about. Our, our flesh, by the way, that pressing that Paul mentions is a necessity simply because of the overwhelming opposition that you and I are going to encounter if this is what we decide we want. Because our flesh is not going to want it. Nobody in the flesh says that I may know the fellowship of his sufferings. You're not going to be carnal and pray that prayer. And if you're carnal, you're not going to say in the power of his resurrection because you think your power is good enough anyway. No, no, no. Your flesh is not going to want it. The devil doesn't want it and the world around you sure doesn't want it. Your friends and your family is not going to want it for themselves or for you. So if you go forward in your walk with God and you gain new ground and God enlarges your coast, it's going to be because you were willing to fight the fight and press through all the opposition in order to get it. We'll close with this. Looking back at the definition of press, at the, at the, at the wording of verse 13, I, I'm, reaching, I'm reaching forth, I'm reaching forth under those things which are before. Let me ask you this question in closing. How urgent is it to you that you go forward in your personal life? How important is it? How much physical and moral power are you willing to exert to go forward? Are you even reaching forth? Because I think this right here pretty much symbolizes what most Christians are doing. They're not reaching forth. They got their hands in their pockets. When I hired a guy back in the day, I said, I got several rules. One of them is you don't put your hands in your pocket when you're on the clock. And they look at me kind of funny. I said, well, I'm paying you to do a job. And I do all the thinking around here, so I just hired you from the neck down. <laughs> huh? So anything needs to be done, you can't do it with your hands in your pocket. If they had their hands in their pocket, that means they're not working. Huh? That's deep, ain't it? I mean, I'm not a rocket scientist, but that, that's pretty good right there. This, this, this describes most Christians. What are you doing? I'm looking for Jesus to come back. Oh, he's coming back. There's no question about that. He's coming back. He could come back right now. But I can't find anywhere in my Bible we're supposed to walk around with our hands in our pockets. The Bible says looking for that blessed hope. It talks about looking for him to come back and everybody that has this hope purifies (laughs) himself. Are you really looking for Jesus to come back? If you are, you're going to jump in the shower and take another shower. Spiritually. Every man that hath this hope in him purifieth himself. If you really believe Jesus has come back and you want to prove, you're gonna clean up and you're gonna do more and you're gonna try to influence as many people as you can before Jesus comes back. Occupy till I come, he says. So I wonder this morning, with heads bowed and eyes closed, are you reaching forth? I'm talking about you personally. Don't wait for somebody else to get up and go to the altar. We're talking, I'm talking to you. Daddy, Daddy, I'm talking to you, mama. Talking to you, grandma, grandpa, talking to you. Young person, talking to you this morning. Are you reaching forth? Are you reaching forth? There may be somebody this morning that's never been saved. Maybe you're in the service and you're not sure if you died right now, you'd go to heaven. You you can't remember the time and place when God absolutely transformed your life and made a new creature out of you. And maybe this morning you're concerned about that and you'd say, preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure I'm saved. Would you slip your hand up where I can see it? I want to pray for you. Preacher, pray for me. Right where you're at. Right where you're at. Just slip your hand up, preacher, pray for me. I'm not sure if I died right now that I would go to heaven. Anybody anywhere? Hold it up where I can see it and you can put it right back down. Anybody anywhere? Anybody? The altar's full. Folks are all across the front here. The theme this year's forward. Let me ask you, do you want to go forward in your Christian walk? Do you want to know him better? Do you want more of his power? Does the the thought of the rewards and the crowns on the other side at the judgment seat, does that at all inspire you, stir you, motivate you? I certainly hope so.